0: well happy father's day i think that you would uh agree dads and i'm sure your moms would say the same thing on mom's day that the that the um, privilege that we're afforded to be dads and moms is the greatest privilege that anyone could ever be given and we um, we appreciate the uh chance to be dads and i thank you dads for all uh that uh you do um I especially thank some of you dads because I put up with 65 of your kids this week (laughs) at camp this week. And I got a few of our award winners here. We always ask the award winners, we give trophies for what we call our hotshot champions and then our camper of the week. And we always ask them all to be able to come and we can kind of introduce them here in the second service. Uh, And usually most of them can't come and they go to other churches and we get all that, that's fine. But I know some of them are here. So, uh, David, would you come? I know Jordan's here. If there's any of, rest of, the, of our trophy winners here that I haven't seen, David and Drew, would you come up? Jordan, come, come on up right now, man. All the way to the start. All the way up top. Come on, Jordan. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, these were hotshot champions, and we have a little competition. Um, that we um, call our Hotshot Competition, obviously, and we go Monday through Friday, and as many baskets as you can be able to make in a minute. And these three were winners in their groups, and uh, this is Jordan, and this is Drew, and this is David, and they all won in their, on their teams. They were a Hotshot Champion on their teams, and uh, I also want to tell one story that I heard this morning. Uh <clears throat> Levi was a little uh, kindergarten kid that we had at camp, and if I was going to give out the award for the kid that cried the most, I would have given it out to Levi, (laughs) and um, there's his parents out there, love y'all, okay, and um, (laughs) so Levi didn't get an award, okay, now at the Nazarene basketball camp, we don't give every kid's award, awards uh, are held out for some special deserving honors, we just don't give a participation trophy, okay, and we could preach about that in another sermon. All right. Um, but Levi was being, uh, Levi and he was being like a kindergarten kid. Yes. Okay. And didn't get an award and he's hanging his head. David gave his trophy to Levi. and uh that's camper of the week stuff right there you know we talked about that we had a camper of the week and we kept talking about this week if somebody does something good we say that's camper of the week stuff or if somebody did do something good we said you don't want to be camper of the week do you and uh so that is camper of the week type of stuff and i really really uh appreciate that so much and appreciate the heart that is behind that so can you congratulate jordan drew and david thank you you can go back to children's church and go back to you folks okay Um, we've been in a really short series because I had three weeks before we're heading to Papua New Guinea and kind of hard to do a series in three weeks. So we just kind of centered on one verse of scripture and kind of got into that one verse of scripture and kind of tore it apart and, and just kind of preaching the daylights out of it, okay? And it's it's Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and we said there are times we become really frustrated as Christians and... There are times where we wish we were further along in the Christian journey. Why does that attitude still come up? Why am I still committing that sin? Or why, haven't, why haven't I gone past that? I'm a 23-year-old I'm Christian by now. I should be past that. And there are times we get frustrated. And at times like that, we remember this verse that uh, it's God who began a good work in us And his promise is to carry that on to completion. And what God has started, he will finish. We are all a work in progress. And we're all started different places. And um, he's still working on every single one of us. He started this work in us. It wasn't me who started this work. I didn't walk down the street one day and have a bright idea to become a Christian. He had been working on me long before through parents, through pastors, through friends, through circumstances in my life and what God will start in, um, he will finish. And we talked that it was said it was God who began this work in you. And we talked about that two weeks ago. And then we said this work is a good work, okay? We said there are some people, and I've talked to them before, that really don't want to become a Christian or kind of fearful becoming Christians because all the Christians they know are really weird. And they're just fanatics and radicals, and they dress different and they talk and they say all kinds of words that nobody understands, all kinds. And it's just really kind of weird sometimes. And we said, if there's any weirdness that's attributed to Christians, it has nothing to do with God. It has to do with just the plain, simple indisputable fact that as people, we're weird, okay? We're just, we're just flat out weird. And the only Christians I know that are people, so peop, Christians end up being weird too. And it's not because of God, it's because of their makeup, their DNA, their mom was weird, they inherited from their mom, they inherited from their dad. They're, people are just weird. And you know that as well. as I'm looking at some weird folks out here today, and you're looking at a weird pastor, okay? And we all have our own oddities. I, I remember a story that was told me about a person in this church several years ago whose wife died of cancer. And so, obviously, he was grieving that, and, and, and then pretty soon there come a time, because he was still a young man, that he was going to be able to look for a new wife. And he got out his computer, and he got his spreadsheet out, and he listed qualities that he wanted in a wife, positive qualities, and the negative qualities he didn't want to see in a wife. And all the women he knew, he checked off all these things and kept it tagged onto those spreadsheet. Now, I think that's really weird. <laughs> and most of you women do, too, Okay. A guy loves Jesus with all his heart. There's just some weirdness about him, okay? Just like there's weirdness about you. I showed you a video of a guy, a preacher last week that was nuts. I mean, he was doing everything but cuss out his people, and and he was just, he was probably that way before he ever became a Christian, and people are weird, and because all Christians are people, Christians get weird sometimes, but It's not attributed to God. What God is doing in you is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. That's what God is doing in your your life. God's not doing all those other weirdness. All that other weirdness, you you credit somebody else for that. You credit somebody else for that. Uh, All these Christians that blow up abortion clinics, you credit somebody else for that because God is doing a work of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All those Christians that hold up say, uh, signs that says God hate fags, you don't attribute that to God, you'd attribute that to that ultra-weirdness in their own life. Because what God does in their life, or what God is wanting to do in our lives, is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. So you can trust God with the work he's going to do in your life because it's a good work. And if we're going to be weird, let's be weird because we're loving and let's be weird because we're joyful and let's be weird because we're peaceful and let's be weird because we're kind and let's be weird because we're faithful and so on. All those fruit of the spirit that God is working in our lives. And so we talked about the good work that God is doing in your lives and both of those teachings are available on the internet, zinnianaz.org. Now today, let's go just a little bit further in that verse. And that good work that God is doing in you, let's, let's preach on those two little words today, in you, the work he's doing is an inside job. The work he's doing is not about external things, the type of dress, the uh, 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 the, the uh, type of makeup you wear or you don't wear, the kind of haircut you have or you don't have. God is doing an inside job. Now, though, obviously, things on the inside will eventually have external realities to them. They'll come out on the outside. But God's not worried about the outside. He's worried about the inside because if he gets the inside, he gets the outside too. Because what's on the inside ends up coming out on the outside. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. He didn't say blessed are the pure in walk, blessed are the pure in talk. He said blessed are the pure in heart, because if you get your heart right, then your walk and your talk will take care of itself. You see, I can get my walk and my talk right, and I can be an atheist. I can get my walk and my talk right, and I can be an adulterer. And I can express you all and look really good on the outside and impress you all with all of my walk and my talk and say all the right things and come to church and stand up at the right time and sit, up at the right t- and sit down at the right time and be dirty as mud on the inside. That's the definition of a hypocrite. That's the definition of the people that God called snakes and vipers, called them, hip- called them the Pharisees' hypocrites in the Bible, people that had it on the outside, You you remember the verse, clean the outside of the cup, but they didn't clean the inside of the cup. The good work that God is doing is an inside job. It's in you. And when it truly gets in you, your nature changes. And I used to think, I used to preach all the time that God gives you a brand new heart. And there is, I know there's some truth to that. But most of the change that God does in your life, the in you change, the inside you change, is thinking. He works on your brain. You're told to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the thought is the father of the deed. Anything I've ever done in my life, I've had a thought about it before I did it. And so if I'm going to change my actions, I have to think about it first. And somebody says, they do something. That says, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking. No, that's not true. You have to think before you had a, did a deed. You have to think. You have to have a, a thought about it. You have to have some kind of thought before there's any kind of action. It may not have been a good thought. You may not have listened to that thought. You may have gone on and, and run the red light and did the deed. Like that one time I've told you this story before. We were living in Georgia, and I was pastoring a church. and had this one guy in my church that got on my very last nerve. I mean, just, just got on my nerves totally. I don't have, thankful I don't have anybody like that here, okay? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was talking to that guy, and I was in the kitchen, and the living room was right here. So I was talking to that guy on the phone. Have had no idea what the conversation was about. Totally forgot. But he was making <laughs> me mad. So I hung up the phone. And I walked into the family room and I was I was I wasn't mad. I was mad. And there sit my wife and the lazy boy and my eighteen month old Christopher on the floor and my guitar right here. I was mad. And I just leaned back and kicked a hole right in that guitar. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, I wasn't thinking. No, I was thinking, because right about here, there went a red light off in my head, and God says, do you really want to act like a fool in front of your wife and your 18-month-old? And your brain is so powerful, all that happens in an instant. So it was right about here that I got that red light, and I just ran right through that red light. Always have a thought before the deed. So if we're going to change external behaviors in our life, we have to change the way we think. And the way that God works in you, the good work that's in you is in your mind. The Bible talks about this everywhere. I mean, I'll just pick out a few verses to show you. Do we have Ephesians 4 up here first, Amanda? You were taught with regard to your former way of life To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. God is trying to get out that stinking thinking and put in godly thinking. You've been thinking a certain way for a long time. You come to Christ. He wants to change the way you think. Romans 8, chapter 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh. That's our natural self. That's me operating by the seat of my pants, my natural self. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, capital S, Spirit is life and peace. What's the next verse we have up here? Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above. Set your mind. That's a lot of intentionality in that, isn't it? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Who do we have next? James chapter 1 says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. He is unstable. She is unstable in all of her ways. A double-minded person, believe, doubt, Faith, doubt. They're double minded and they should not expect to receive anything from God. Proverbs 23 7 says, As a man thinks, so he is. As a man thinks, so he is. You know, you heard the little, what was it, the little, I don't know if it was a nursery rhyme or just a little children's story about the little train that could I think it, can I think? think I can. That's just Bible. Come on. I mean, somebody took a truth that is a universal truth in the Bible and made it into a little children's story. I think I can. 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 It's all in your head. It's all in your head. Back 30 years ago when I didn't have such a girth around here and when I didn't have a little disc that slips in and out, I could do a backflip. And you know the key to doing a backflip? Throw your head back and let her rip. If you don't throw the head back, if you're tentative on that head or you bring that head up in mid-flip, you're not going to make it because your body will follow your head. Your body will follow your head Our boys are on the swim team and they're trying to learn flip turns where they go and they flip turn and push off and go back to the other end. And I said, hey, on that flip turn, you've got to commit to it. You've got to drop that head so you flip in that water and turn and push off the back. Your body will follow. Drop the head. If you're tentative with your head, your body won't go. The body follows the head. If you're on a golf course and you're getting ready to swing, what's the teacher tell you to do? Tells you to keep your eye on the ball. In fact, I don't say that to myself. I said, I look at one dimple in that ball. I choose one dimple out in that ball, and I look at it, and I still slice it. <laughs> but seriously, when you, when you raise, if I'm coming through and I raise my head up, I'm going to slice it about two fairways over because the body follows your head. And it's the same thing in Christianity. Some of you know where I'm going with my next verse here. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, therefore means, okay, since I've been saying all of this stuff, this is Romans 12, since I've been saying all this stuff for 11 chapters, therefore, in view of God's mercy... So what does Paul think these 11 chapters that have been about? They've been about God's grace, they've been about God's loving kindness, they've been about his mercy. I don't know what your view of God is this morning, if God is a judge, if God is a, uh, uh, some big tyrant, if, if God is just if He's angry or whatever, but Paul says in the most theological portion of God's word, the first 11 chapters of Romans, God's, uh, Paul says, therefore, because I've just told you how merciful God is, because I've just told you how loving God is, because I've just told you how gracious God is, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He was talking to to people who had been acquainted with the Old Testament system of offering bulls and goats and lambs and pigeons, and God says, I don't want dead stuff to be dead. I want a living sacrifice. I want your body to be given to me as a living sacrifice. That's what worship is. What we do in here on Sunday morning, that's part of worship. That's okay. That's great. But really, what what he really wants is when you leave here to present yourself a living sacrifice. There is nothing more blasphemous than people to come in here and raise your hand and get all happy in church and go out and live like hell the rest of the week. There is nothing more blasphemous than that. Your worship is a 24-7 thing on what you do. My dad used to say, he says, I don't care how high you jump on Sunday, as long as you walk straight on Monday. He so said, you can get in church and you can jump high, you can run the aisles, you can do whatever you want to on Sunday, knock yourself out. But the Bible says you got to walk straight on Monday. you got to walk straight on Monday. That's the sacrifice God wants. It's a living sacrifice. He wants you to sacrifice your body, which is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not be like everybody else. Can I tell a story on you, Christopher? I owe you a dollar. But I'll give you a tell if I tell this. Story. I can't remember, I have no idea what it was. But I told Christopher to do something. I can't remember. I don't have any idea what it was. He goes, Dad, nobody my age is doing that. Whether we're 13 or we're 53, we're concerned with what other people think of us, aren't we? Yeah, Daddy. nobody my age is doing that. But this verse says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by coming to the altar. Well, there's nothing wrong with coming to the altar, but there's no big deal that you're going to be transformed when you do that. By coming to church, by giving your tithes, by being a small group leader, all those are great things. The transformation comes by the renewal of the mind. The renewal of the mind. And I've told you before and I'll tell you again, the Greek word that's translated transformation is where we get the word metamorphosis. The process that a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Transformation. By the renewal of your mind. And I hear you saying now, yes, I get it. I know, I know as my mind thinks so I am. I get that, but how... Can I, I can't get that to work. I can't get that to work in my life. Help me out, Mark. Stop preaching and start teaching. Okay. How can that work? And, you know, we could give you several examples. Let me give you a few and we'll go home. You have to pay attention to your thought life, thought life. And what I mean by that is your thoughts are so critical. They're not just little innocent things that come in your mind, little harmless things that come in your mind. Your thoughts are so important and you've got to be able to pay attention to that because why? Because we've already said the thought is the father of the deed. So any kind of thought that comes through your mind is not this little innocent thing. It, it has potential. It has potential to work into to a good deed or a, or a bad deed. It has potential to, to be, do something that glorifies God or to be able to sin against him. I must take serious my thought life and that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul tells us said the weapons of we fight with are not weapons of the world on contrary they are divine, they have divine power to demolish strongholds and is there any more stronghold in some of our lives than the way we think one of the biggest strongholds in our lives is is the way we think we demolish arguments and every pretension and set it, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's, don't underestimate them. Don't underestimate these little thoughts and these ideas, and don't underestimate these little things that come in your mind, and they're not harmless. They, they could be harmless, but if you sit there and, 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 and fondle it and think about it, it all of a sudden could be sin. Or they're powerful. And why are they powerful? Because now for the fourth time I've said the thought is the father of the deed. You'll have no deed in your life before a corresponding thought. So these are powerful things. And the Bible tells us to take them captive. To take them captive. And when this weird thought comes into my mind, to be able to take that captive and to be able to... I don't want to think about that. What is that about? Man, that, that ended a long time ago. Have you, have, you, have, you, have you got a necessary skill that you have to have as a Christian? And that's to learn to talk to yourself. you got to talk to yourself. And you talk to yourself and you talk to God and you almost do it in the same breath. Where did that come from? That's not the truth. That's about the weirdest thing that's ever popped What is? Where did that come from? And you just don't settle for those thoughts. And you, and you take them serious. You take captive the things that float into your mind. And I don't know where those things come from. Some of them come from the evil one. Some of them come from the world that we live in. Some of them come from my mom. Some of them come from my dad. Some of them come from a teacher that said something they shouldn't have said. Some, someone comes from a, a, a coach. Some of them come from peers. Some of them come from a boss. I don't know where those thoughts come from. But they're serious. And take them captive. And that's why, parents, you control what's on your kid's iPod because what's going in there is serious. And it's not just a song. And it's not just a a, a cute little song with a good beat. There's stuff going in. And the thought is the father of the deed. Take captive. Take them serious. And once I take them serious, I have, many times I have to take that thought and I have to rebuke that thought. I have to dispose of that thought. I have to intentionally say, no, I'm not thinking about that. What is, what is that? And I have to intentionally take my mind, like Philippians 4 says. I have to take my mind and I have to think on good things. Philippians chapter 4, Amanda, tells me to think on whatever is right. This is an intentional. Read the intentionality that's in these verses. Think on what is right. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's, that's intentionality there. And a thought about another woman comes into my mind, and, and, and that thought comes in that, my mind, and I have to intentionally start thinking about the great, unbelievable gift I've been given, in Sue can't believe I've got such a great wife as that. And I have to be intentional about that, and I have to think what is 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 admirable think about what is noble There's, that's an act of my will that's an act of my will garbage in means garbage out you know that garbage in means garbage out I wish I could just say, oh, God will do that for you. You become a Christian and God will block all those evil thoughts away. No. Some of your testimonies, and mine was, as soon as I became a Christian, I, I didn't even realize I was having all those bad thoughts. Once <laughs> you become a Christian, you start realizing you have them. And that's just when the temptation starts, sometimes when you become a Christian, because before it wasn't temptation because I gave in to it all the time. Now it's temptation because I want to resist it. A Christ, that's why many times the Bible talks about a Christian is at war, and a Christian is in a battle. Because all these things that we don't want in our lives. So I take thought. I take captive that thought. And, and, and I intentionally try to take that thought and dispose of it and, and try to intentionally think about something else. I wish it was always that easy. I wish it was always worked 100% every time I do that. But I have to train myself because I've got to take out. I wasn't a Christian until I was 34. I've got to take out 34 years of stinking thinking. Man, how long would that take? Now I go back to, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Listen, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. All kinds of thoughts fly through our heads. and Friends, not only should we take them captive and not only should we intentionally think on something else, the Bible says for for you to know the truth and the truth will set you free. For you to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's got to be a corresponding truth that you know to counteract that lie because that's all the evil one has for you is lies. He cannot make you do a thing. He has no power to make you do anything he can lie to you and make you believe his lie and once you believe it you'll act on it if you really believe it it's a choice will you believe god or will you believe the evil one so all kinds of thoughts come through my mind and i need to know the truth to be able to counteract the thoughts i had a pastor friend of mine in canada Ask his congregation to write down on sheets of paper negative thoughts that they hear in their mind or that they just kind of scroll in their mind. Listen to some of the things that they wrote, and all these were written down more than once. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's consequences for yelling at 65 kids for five days. All right. You'll never get this right was something that scrolls through people's heads. You're so stupid. You're not good enough. Guys have that a lot because we we're, we're the takers and we feel like we have to compete and we're the hunters and you're not good enough. You can't cut it. I'm a failure as a parent. And it seems like it's the moms that deal with this more. A lot of people wrote down, I'm a bad mom. No one will ever love me, was something these people wrote down on a sheet of paper and turned into him as thoughts that reoccur in their mind. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm not pretty enough. And when those type of thoughts, where they come from, could they be from the devil? Of course. Could they be from some uh, mother that said something 20 years ago she shouldn't have said? Could it be some some kids that used to to tease me down the science hallway in high school? And don't tell me stuff that didn't happen in the science hallway in high school. Don't still haunt some of us 57-year-olds. They come from all kinds of places, and when they come in, you have to know the truth. You have to know the truth to know that there are lies. Romans 8.1 is an important truth for you to be able to know, because Romans 8.1 said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemned, if you feel there's no hope for you, if you feel there's no light at the end of the tunnel, that is condemnation, and that is not from God. That is not from God. That may be from the eagle one. That be from a mother that mistreated you, a father that mistreated you. That may be from a coach that said something he shouldn't have said, a teacher that said something he shouldn't have said. That may be from kids that never picked you on the playground and everybody got picked to be on the kickball team but you. And don't tell me that still don't go through some 57-year-olds' heads. If you feel condemned, that is not from God. Now, God may send conviction, and that's something else. Conviction always, there's hope at the end of conviction. When you feel convic- conviction, you always know that there's a way out if I will just humble myself to it. But condemnation is the exact opposite. No light at the end of the tunnel. No hope. I'm condemned. It's not from God. Another scripture you need to be able to remember. I God could never forgive me for that. I mean, yeah, you know, God doesn't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've seen. You don't need where, you don't know how many times I've done it. God certainly can. I mean, yeah, I guess I can get how God can forgive me once or twice or maybe three times, but I don't see how God can forgive me 17 times. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. Do you believe that or not? I think we ought to stop using the word Christian, and we ought to stop, start using the word believer. Do you believe that or not? As I've told you before, you believe in God, big deal. The devil's believing God, James 2, chapter, verse 18. Do you believe him? Do you take him at his word? Do you stand on the promises, the old song used to say? Do we stand on the promises? Do we believe them? You're a believer or not. And when that unforgiveness thought comes into your mind, there's a truth I stand on. There's a promise I stand on that is stronger than any thought that can come through my mind. Another scripture we have up here? I'm, 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 I'm just not good enough, and I'm, I'm just I'm not very talented in that area, and I'm pretty weak, and I never could be able to do that, and I don't have a I just got a high school education, I've never been to college, and I'm just I'm really weak in that area, and God's truth says He loves to do things in people's areas of weakness, because that's where Christ's power can reign supreme. my area of weakness my area that i don't feel strong in is an opportunity for jesus to do something that really shines through in my life i was born with the ability to get up here and do what i'm doing right now i did it when i was a kid before i ever way long before i ever became a christian i was getting up in front of talking in front of people big deal this is the easy part of Christianity. There's a lot of areas I feel inferior. There's a lot of areas I feel weak. There's a lot of areas I feel inadequate, as you do as well. It's a chance for Christ's power to be made perfect in my life. Will I believe that thought, that tape that's running in my head about I'm inadequate? I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. I was born on the east end. I was born on wherever. I, I, I didn't get a college education i didn't finish high school his grace is sufficient for me for his power can be made perfect in my inadequacy do you believe that i mean believe it stand on it how do you change your thinking you have to know the truth and when those weird thoughts come through your mind you have to speak the truth What else do we have up here? Well, I'm just worthless. No, no one understands me. I, I get misunderstood all the time. No one understands what it's like to be me. No one understands. I'm different. God says he searched you and he knows you. He knows when you sit and when you rise. He perceives our thoughts from afar he discerns my going out and my lying down. Next slide. He's familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, he knows it. God, yeah, maybe people do under mis- misunderstand you, but there's a Heavenly Father who knows you better than you know yourself. One more. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know. I'll never, I'll never amount to anything. Got fired from two jobs and flunked out of college. Da 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 da. Worthless. God says you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation, God's. Sp- Do you believe that? Do you believe? I mean, seriously, you are God's special possession. Now, here's what some of you think. Well, maybe you, Mark, but maybe you. You know, you've been to seminary, Mark. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. That's who you are. That's who you are. Do you have some weirdness about you? Of course you do. Do you have some areas in your life that, that you need to rub off the rough? Of course you do. Do you, do you maybe need to get some more education? Of course. Yeah, all those things may be true, but they're not who you are. And I must know the truth. I can't start repeating the truth back in opposition to those lies if I don't know what the truth is. And that's a daily interaction with God's Word. And you know what? It takes more than a week, and it takes more than a month, and more than six months, and more than a year, and more than two, and more than five. But somewhere on your Christian journey, It all clicks. It clicks. I remember a professor at Asbury where I attended talking about another professor at Asbury. And this professor talked about how deeply this other professor immerses himself in God's word. And this professor was just turning 50, and he'd been a Christian for like 30 years. He said, Mark, I said, Mark watched the last 20 years of his life. He says, You're going to see more fruit than you've ever seen before because you can't help it, because he's immersed himself in truth for 30 years. This is not a quick fix, friends. This is a journey. Still working on you and he will be to the day you die. He began a good work. a Good work. In you. And those things that he's changing on the inside, they will, maybe not next week, maybe not six months from now, but they will have external realities in your life. When Jesus went to the cross, He didn't just die so you could have a ticket to heaven. He didn't just die so you can go to heaven. He He wants to change you inside out. I remember, I can't remember His name, but I remember the service. I said, ah, I can't remember His name. I'm sorry. The Methodist pastor in, in, in Lexington. He says, God didn't die just so you could wave your ticket to heaven. He wants you on a pilgrimage of discovery to find out who you can be in Jesus Christ. And the power and the blood of Jesus Christ that we sing about and we understand and we celebrate at communion, that power, yes. Thank God for that power that paved my way to heaven, but that power is so much more powerful than that. Would you let that power work in your life so your mind is renewed and you're changed from the inside out? Can our servers come to the table, please? Father, I just thank you for the richness of your word that we can just bathe in and soak in and reap from. and Thank you for it. Thank you for how every single word is rich and, and the, the teaching sometimes is just almost inexhaustible to, to get everything out of a verse that you can possibly get out of it. Thank you for your word. I pray for people today. I pray for myself who have weird thoughts that come in our minds may we take them captive may we intentionally think on good things pure things heavenly things right things moral things true things and may we know that your word enough that we can know the truth and speak the truth against the lies that come from the evil one or wherever in our life Bless us now as we participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In your name, amen.